young soldier who ran from the battlefield and kept running. The year was 490 BC, and a Greek soldier began running home to Athens. He ran 26 miles without stopping because he had urgent news from the Battle of Marathon. He arrived in Athens, and apparently he suddenly died. This is apparently the beginnings of the modern-day marathon, 26.2 miles. I wonder if there's any marathon runners in our midst this morning. Uh, I am not, um, but I, I know enough about a marathon to stand in admiration for those who run and run and run. As Christians, I suppose uh, many of you know of the metaphor of a marathon, of a race at least, the New Testament so often grabs hold of to give a picture, a description of the Christian life. All Christians, if they are in Christ, have put their faith in Jesus, have turned from their sins, and now they are called to persevere, to run. Uh, this metaphor of running, or at least this, this idea of persevering, is really the main theme in our text this morning, which was just read, a call to persevere. If you want a title, there it is, a call to persevere. Do turn your Bibles to Jude. We're going to be looking at the last section in this very short but punchy letter, verses 17 to the very end of the chapter. As you turn there, let me just remind you of the book, or perhaps I'll bring you up to speed of what we're looking at. Jude is the brother of James and was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes to this church that is under threat, under threat of false teachers. They seem to have crept in. He says in verse 4 that they have secretly crept in. Before we come to our verses, I want to just give you something of uh, an overview of the book. We don't know the specific details, but it seems that one Sunday, a group of Christians, so-called Christians, came to the church. They were very impressive. Perhaps some of them played music. Perhaps they just had very fantastic uh, people skills, supposedly knew the, new te- or the, the, the Bible well. But Jude tells them that these people who have crept in secretly are actually a threat. Look there, just verses 3 and 4. We're going to look at the very end of the book, but I want to just read verses 3 and 4. Really the sort of summary verses of the whole book, I think. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude's saying to these Christians, you need to wake up. You can't be sleeping at the wheel. Uh, There's no such thing as a Christian who decides, you know what, I've read the Bible enough, I've prayed enough, I've been to church so many times over the decades, I'll take a break now. I'll just stay at home. I'll see you guys at the end. No, Jude says that they must contend for the faith. They must take up the fight of faith. And then as you read this little book, after these introductory verses, Jude gives a very dark description 
of the seriousness of God's judgment for these false teachers and all who would follow them. And after this, uh, we come to our section, verses 17 and following. And what Jude does here is essentially reframes his original call. This call to contend for the faith is now reframed as a call to persevere. The main verse here in verses 17 to 25 is verse 21. Look at that again. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You're going to highlight one little section in your Bible at the end of Jude. It's this phrase, this verse. Keep yourselves in the love of God. We must keep running the Christian race uh, with perseverance. Our Christians are kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told that in verse 1. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus. And yet, here at the end, Jude says that we must keep ourselves. These things go together. God is sovereign in our salvation, and yet he calls his people to repent and believe. To keep trusting him. He keeps us, and he calls us to keep ourselves. How exactly do we do that? How exactly do we persevere in the Christian faith? Perhaps you're new to the Christian faith. Perhaps you are in the midst of struggle and trial. Perhaps affliction has hit in you, and you feel that there are dark clouds, not just perhaps outside, but in your life, spiritually speaking. How do you put one foot ahead of the other and keep going? That's really the thesis question of our text this morning, and I believe our passage gives us four ways to do this. Four ways to persevere. First, we must look back. Look back. Look again at verses 17 to 19. Jude says, You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Jude is doing what many of the New Testament uh, authors do referring to ultimately the Jesus prediction about false prophets and false teachers warning God's people that in our day, even today in the 21st century with the iPhone and AI, there are things unseen. There are dangers hidden. There are false teachers that will rise up and deceive some. Let me read you just a few verses elsewhere in the New Testament that speak uh, to the same issue. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Peter warns of scoffers coming in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. How do we persevere? Well, we remember, we look back. And remind ourselves and each other of Jesus' own predictions, of the apostles' predictions, of their warnings. That not everybody who calls himself a Christian, of not everybody who appears on YouTube or whatever sort of your, your streaming service and preaches from the Bible is indeed a Christian teacher. No, some will come amongst us, even secretly, uh, seeking by Satan's power to deceive. Jesus spoke a very similar words, Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's 
clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Just this week, I was with some of my daughters. Uh, two of them are with me, my oldest and uh, my, my wife. Their mother is out of town. And one of my daughters has a knack for asking pretty good questions. She asked if I was ever uh, on a starlit walk. Well, I was able to tell her about uh, some night hikes I did as a scout back in South Africa many, many moons ago. And in this part of South Africa where I grew up, there were snakes in the bush, puff adders particularly. Now, if you know puff adders, they're very lazy snakes, right? They just lie on the path. They don't get out the way. Most of the time, you can just clap for snakes, generally speaking, and they scatter, right? Puff adders, they just lie there. So what do we do? What do we do as young kids? We, well, we had our boots on, but we also took cardboard and sort of strapped it with duct tape around our ankles all the way to your knee. Why do you do that? Well, you go and see the puff adder at night. You may stand on it and may bite you. You go prepared. You go remembering that out there there is danger. Judah's saying the same thing. Judah's saying, look back, think back to what the apostles warned us of our present day. There will be false teachers. Uh, secondly, we look forward. The way we persevere, according to Jude, is that we look forward. Look there at verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How do we keep ourselves? Well, Jude says we do so in part by, by waiting. By waiting. Paul writes to Titus, and he uses very similar language. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to live self-controlled, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope. This isn't an idle waiting. Our duty is not calling us. Paul doesn't call us uh, to wait, as it were, on the porch, twiddling our thumbs. Uh, no, th no, this waiting is the waiting, uh, perhaps, of uh, some grandchildren who know grandparents are coming, but it's a school night, so they're doing their homework. They get on with the work, but every now and then they open the window just to check, are the grandparents here? Christians wait as they go out on mission. Christians wait as they continue to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Christians wait as they continue to do their work at a bench, in a classroom, on Zoom, faithfully. But they must wait. They must have their eyes forward to another day. What are we waiting for? Look at verse 21 again. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Future mercy. Christian, let me remind you that justification, that precious theological word that Luther helped us understand, justification by faith alone is by definition an end-time reality. It is tied to the judgment day. It is, in its essence, the announcement that will come on the judgment day saying, forgiven, accepted, reconciled justified. We speak of it as a present reality. We are now justified. Why? 
because the great judge of all the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come into this world and lived a perfect life, a life that you should live but don't, that I should live but don't. And that perfect life of the judge took him all the way to a cross where Jesus Christ, even though he was sinless, bore the penalty of all those who would trust in him. And therefore, upon his resurrection, he offers justification by faith alone. But Jude tells us that this is a future event. We wait for that day when we will hear the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge of all the earth, say to his people, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. These false teachers, if you read Jude, they have another thing coming on the last day. And that is a warning to all those who would follow in their rebellious ways. But God's people, those who aim to persevere, we look forward to a day of mercy. And it's not just mercy, it's a mercy that leads to eternal life. Your purest dreams of the good life, I wonder what that is. Perhaps a day uh, at the lake with all your family with you. Perhaps it's an upcoming wedding. Maybe it's an overseas trip. Uh, Maybe it's uh, uh, soon the day when you retire and can enjoy life uh, leisurely. Whatever it is that we think is the good life, uh, Jesus promises eternal life, life on another plane, life as it was meant to be. And he tells us, Jude tells us, that as we seek to persevere, we need to keep our eyes on that day. Christians are those who keep themselves in the love of God. How? Well, in part by by waiting. I wonder what you're waiting for. As I said, uh, my wife and oldest daughter is out of town. I can tell you that the rest of us are waiting for them to return. (laughs) Perhaps you have a beach trip coming up, a trip to the lake, maybe a family reunion. These things have a a way of, of sharpening our attention of giving us a spring in our step, of marking down the calendar as we look to that day. Well, well, Christians ought to be those who look beyond the bounds of this world and time. Let me remind you that history is not just this aimless, mindless, hamster wheel-like thing that just continues to go randomly. No, there is a God in heaven, and He orchestrates every event that comes to pass. And he is directing all of history towards this goal, when God's people will be in his presence. Did you notice verse 24? Such wonderful words. We'll come to those in a moment. But but do notice what the end goal is for a Christian. It's not the cross. No, it's where the cross takes us. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Do you know what it means to meditate on this last day? Are you in the habit of thinking, of encouraging yourself and others that one day we'll be home? A very practical way to do this is to familiarize yourself with Christian songs that speak of heaven. 
Christ is mine forevermore. I believe you sing that from, from time to time in your church. I'd encourage you to incorporate that in your own personal devotions. Use that time and even the words of that song to, to help you wait, to help you look ahead. Revelation 21, 1 to 4, Isaiah 25, verses 6 and following. These are wonderfully rich passages that speak of a day that will thrill the hearts of God's people. When we are done with sin, when we receive our full inheritance and are in the presence of our great God. Here is a call to persevere. How should we do that? Well, one, we look back and remember the warnings. Two, we look forward and remember the day. Three, we look around. One of you noticed the plural language in our passage. Look at verse 20. Building yourselves up. Verse 21. Keep yourselves. He is speaking to a community who ought to be mindful of others around them. We have a man in our congregation who sort of uh, gathers various individuals who are up for the task of swimming long distance outdoors. Three, four, five kilometers, three, four miles outside. I spoke to him recently about uh, who he invites to come and swim. There are some people in the city who are very eager and able swimmers, but he says some of them can't come. He doesn't invite them. Why? Because they aren't mindful of others. On the lake, he says, there are boats. There are all sorts of other things happening on the lake. We all need to be looking out for ourselves. Yes, we want to have a workout together, he says, but safety is numero uno. That's the number one thing that they care about. How should Christians persevere with an eye to look around? Private devotions are good. Private times of Bible meditation are important, but so is being a healthy church member. Somebody comes, not just for yourself, but with an eye to look around. Do you notice that June speaks of sort of three particular individuals, three particular groups of people that we should be mindful of. Verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Let's look at these in turn. Have mercy on those who doubt. In the context, in the original context, Jude was probably thinking of some of the Christians in the church who were being seduced by these false teachers and were beginning to sincerely ask questions. Ah, maybe these new teachers are saying something that really is true. Maybe that which I've heard from the Apostle Paul and Peter and others, maybe that's not all there is. Maybe these new teachers really have a true word from God. Sincere questions. Jude says, have mercy on them. Deal gently with them. In our own day, that may be a, a teenager who's asking a sincere question. Perhaps God is okay with a homosexual lifestyle. A teenager is asking a sincere question. Perhaps I can change my gender. Now we know as Christians that the answer to both those questions is no. But Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Deal with them gently, patiently. 
There's a second group, however, who are beyond asking questions. He says, verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. These are those who have perhaps embraced the false teaching in Jude's day. These are people who are now posting on Facebook links to so-called Christian teachers who say that it is okay to practice a homosexual lifestyle. These are people who are are not just asking sincere questions, but they are happy to to, uh, propagate, to pass on things that are plainly against the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And Jude says, snatch them out of the fire. What does he mean? Well, when your house is on fire in the middle of the night, the alarm goes off and your kids are sleeping, you don't go in quietly and say, hey, love, sorry to bother you in the middle of the night. But uh, we have a situation. No! No, you, 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 you sometimes are a little rough. If you tear up pajama pants, that's okay. Right? You grab. You get them out of the fire. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welsh preacher who's preached in England, uh, in London, the middle of London, in the uh, end of the, 19th, the 20th century. He died in the 1980s, I believe. He tells of a, of a time when he was a young boy back in Wales, when his house caught fire in the middle of the night. His dad was sleeping, so were his two brothers. Well, his other brother was with him. Some people across the farmyard saw the smoke and the fire, banged down the door. He had eventually had to be thrown out the window of the first story to men in their pajamas catching him in the winter night in January. Urgently, We have to deal with those who are in grave danger. Jude said, snatch them out of the fire. Some of our Christian friends need to be spoken with very plainly, very directly, risking offense. Your lifestyle, your new appreciation for certain kinds of doctrine is dangerous. It's going to lead you away from Christ. Sometimes Christians need to have those kinds of conversations. That's what it means to look around, to persevere together. There's a third group here. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy, end of verse 23, with fear. We have this peculiar image. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And the background to this image is Leviticus 13 the purity laws and instructions concerning instances of leprosy. And and here, Jude is pointing out that sin, like leprosy, is particularly contagious. If you're a parent, and you are faithfully trying to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, you know what it means for them to get on your nerves. Right, And, and uh, perhaps you've told them for the fourth time, pick up your clothes, put the dishes in the dishwasher, whatever it is. And then what do you do? Something you don't want to do. You raise your voice. You act in anger. What's happened? Well, their, their sin has in some way provoked you. Uh, the, the counselor uh, knows this too, who is uh, counseling uh, a particular angry argumentative man, and he finds himself in the counseling situation, himself becoming angry and argumentative. 
You think of the pastor who, who years of sin in his church, perhaps committed by a, a, a prominent member, and he is tempted to cover it up or to justify it. Jude says, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. As we seek to help one another persevere, sometimes, or shall I say very often, we need to pray that as we seek to help others repent from sin, that we guard our own hearts, that we don't fall into some kind of sin, even as we're trying to help them get out of the mire. One just broad question I must just ask before we leave this point. Are you somebody who makes it easier for, for others to encourage and exhort in the faith? Are you known by others as someone who takes correction well? Or does your spouse and your children know that mom or dad need to be treated with kid gloves, walking around them as on eggshells? I would encourage you to open up your heart and your life to others. We make this way on the Christian road, the narrow road, in groups, with community. Do so when life is still relatively easy. Build the roof on the barn when the rain is far away. It's very difficult to build relationships in a Christian church when your life is a mess. Take advantage of the good times. Open up yourself, your life, and your heart to others. Number four, look up. Judas points us backwards, forwards, around, and now he directs our eyes up to God himself. Let me read verses 24 and 25 again. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Yet yeah, God is presented as the God who is able. The God who is able. The God who is able to keep every last promise he has made to his people. The God who is able to keep us from stumbling. What does it mean to stumble as a Christian? Well, it doesn't mean to fall into sin. It doesn't just mean to fall into foolish behavior and thinking to stumble. In the context here, it means to follow the course of the false teachers and to lose your way. And if you're a Christian, you will have a, a natural fear of, of stumbling. Uh, we, we hear of people falling into sin. I just heard again this last week uh, of a Christian pastor who fell into sin. And I fall into, uh, I, I, I have the fear of falling myself. I think that's natural for Christians. Oh Lord, keep me from that. Oh Lord, help me to persevere right to the end. Here, Jude, encourage us with these wonderful words, directing our eyes, our eyes to the God who is able to keep you, me, from stumbling. 
He's able to keep us believing in the true gospel. He is able to keep us motivated to grow in godliness. He's able to keep us amidst our own sense of weakness to keep putting our sin to death. Perhaps you're a visitor here this morning like I am. Perhaps you are new to the Christian faith. Perhaps you have questions about the Bible. It's a large book uh, with all sorts of strange things happening in it if you read it from Genesis to Revelation. Let me just simplify the scriptures for you. The Bible is about one thing. God's gracious intervention in a rebellious world to save sinners like you. And here at the very end of Jude, God is presented as a God who is able to save sinners. If you're wondering whether you can ever be good enough for God, I have good news for you. He has done all that is necessary to clothe you, you in his perfect righteousness. All he asks of you, all he demands of you is to give up seeking things in this world to satisfy you, to give up seeking the things of this world uh, to bring you into a right standing with him. He calls you only to put your faith in him, to put your faith in Jesus, our Savior, the one who lived and died as a substitute, as a sin-bearing substitute for sinners like you and I. There are many Christians around you this morning who would love to talk to you more about the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to put your faith in Him, what it means to simply receive His gift of righteousness. I'd be at the door at the back. I'd be happy to talk to you as well. If you're a Christian this morning who is perhaps discouraged in your spiritual walk. Perhaps you're quite mindful of the fact that you have been struggling with the same pattern of sin for years, decades. Anger, impatience, sexual lust, laziness. I want to remind you that our salvation is from beginning to end a work of God. And our God says in verse 24 that he is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his great glory with joy. Christian, this life is not your home. As much as you may have great summer plans and plans for the rest of this year, I want to remind you that this life is not your home. God in his kindness has secured for us a better life, a life with him, a life with all his ransomed people. And if we are to persevere in this life, if we are to make it all the way to the end, the number one thing that we should do is to look up, to look up and to remember our triune God. He is the one who is able to keep us from stumbling He is the one who is able to present us blameless. He calls you simply to hold on to him. Will you do that? Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for your word. That is at once a word of correction and rebuke. A word in season 
a word ultimately of gospel hope. We pray that you would teach us what it means to hold on to Jesus, what it means to keep ourselves in your love. We pray that you would make this body of believers, Parkside Bible Church, a church that knows what it means to do so together. We pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.